invite you this morning to turn to Genesis chapter 38. Um, this is a departure in the narrative from the story of Joseph. And I'm going to say it's kind of weird. <laughs> it's kind of a weird story. Um, the premise of the, entire, of the entirety of Scripture, though, is to remind us some things of primary importance, and one of those things that we must remember above all else is God is faithful. And so, in, previous, in the previous generation, you had Jacob and Esau. Jacob was the second child. God uh, chose him to carry the, uh, the birthright, and how that all worked out was a little strange. Uh, if you go back a few chapters later in the day, you can read about that, Jacob and Esau and the selling of the birthright, things like that. But uh, ultimately, we get to this place now where you have 12 of Jacob's sons, and he has one daughter. We learned about how Joseph was sold into slavery last Sunday, and he left it at the end of chapter 37. He was sold to Potiphar, officer of Pharaoh, and the captain of the guard. And we are going to come back to that next week. But one of the things we, we see in Genesis is that as important a figure as Joseph is, he is not the one who carries the line of our Messiah. He is a picture of what our Messiah will be, ultimately, in that he is imprisoned unjustly, all these different kinds of things that they deal with. But he is not the one who carries the line. That line goes through the fourth brother, from Leah. His name is Judah. How did we get there? Generally in that day, it's a patriarchal set. You go with the firstborn. The firstborn was Reuben. Reuben, Reuben was immoral. He did something very, um, very bad. And God in his, uh, and, and Jacob both, took away his birthright because of what he had done. He lost the privilege of carrying the inheritance of the firstborn. Simeon and Levi are the next two. They do something very bad. Because of what they did, God took away their privilege to carry the inheritance. So it comes to the fourth son, that is Judah. Now this name Judah carries on throughout Scripture, and we hear it far more than we hear any of the other tribes save Israel. The, we, we see that Judah is pretty, a pretty important character. But Judah, too, had some issues. He was the fourth son, but he now was the one who would carry the birthright. And we're going to see how that plays out through a very strange story. But what we are reminded all along the way, and I'm going to say this over and over today as we come through, is God is faithful. This story ultimately is not about Abraham, it's not about Isaac, Jacob, or Judah. Ultimately, it comes down to God's faithfulness and who he gives us in his Messiah. And that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, well, we're, we're going we're gonna to get there by the end, and we're going to look at the majority of this chapter today. I'm going to summarize a few things, because it would probably hit the censors on some of our uh, streaming things as PG-13 2 rated R. I'm going to let you explain that to your children if you get that far. But um, we're, we're going to summarize a couple of verses in the middle 
and continue on with the story. I invite you to stand as we read the first eight verses of Genesis 38. Judah and Tamar. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adullamite whose name was Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her and she conceived and bore a son and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son and she called his name Onan. Yet again she bore a son and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Chesib, that's a fun word to say, and when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, go unto your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. Lord, help us to see your faithfulness through this story. Help us that, to remember, Lord, that in your wrath, you are merciful. And thank you for your grace today, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if I kept going, I probably would have just ended that and go, any questions? All right, so Judah, after this whole affair with uh, Joseph being sold into slavery, he's the one who suggested to sell him instead of killing him. God brings redemption to his family be through Judah because of that decision, that they didn't kill Joseph. It's interesting that all along the way, these different behavior, the different acts that happen, God kind of ranks them as what's good and what's bad and, and shows the strength of character. Here still, we see that the one that God gives us, Judah, was a man of questionable character. He leaves his family, and he marries a Canaanite, the Adullamite. It says his name was Hira. He saw a Canaanite whose name was Shua. He married her wife. Now, in, later in the scriptures, we see that God has very particular instructions for the children of Israel, don't marry the Canaanites. They are polytheists. They are sinners. They, they do things that are going to drag you away from me. And... Even back to this point, he has encouraged his, uh, his children, that would be the, the children of the promise, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to not stray far from the faithfulness of those who would serve the one true God. So their family lines are pretty parallel in some ways, but things are shifting in that. Now, Judah, though maybe favored because of his protection of Joseph, still shows himself to be a sinner. Still shows himself to be disobedient. He marries a Canaanite. The woman gives birth to three sons. I love it in these stories because I, you know, we, we have two kids and I remember all this anticipation of the, of the pregnancy, right? Here comes the baby. Here comes the baby. Is it going to be today? Is it going to be tomorrow? This and that. And in the Bible, it's like she had a son. And then she had another one. And then she had another one. That's the way it all works out, right? In history, we read those things a lot shorter. Are they big events in time? Absolutely. However, the way they summarize it is in just a few words. But he has three sons, Onan, Ur, and Shelah. Ur, the firstborn, it says, was wicked in the sight of the Lord in verse 7. We don't know what he did, but God was not pleased, and he brought his judgment 
And it says here, clearly, the Lord put him to death. Ur was married. He was married to Tamar, another Canaanite woman. Judah said to Onan, now this is where we come into some of the interesting things about the traditions of the cultures and the instructions they get along the way. Go unto your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law and raise up offspring for your brother. And the, in the law, <clears throat> later on, we see something, I think it's Deuteronomy chapter 25, you can test me on that later, but uh, it, we see something happen called leveret marriage. And I am so thankful that Jesus died on the cross and fulfilled that law so that I didn't have to marry my brother's wife if he kicked the bucket. She's a wonderful lady, but she's not mine. So, this is what Onan says, right? He isn't mine. This leveret marriage practice was that the, the inheritance of the father goes to the firstborn. And in order for that family name to carry on, it has to go through in the name of the firstborn. So the, owner, uh, the, the son-in-law, the second brother, I'm sorry, the second brother carries the responsibility, if that brother exists, to raise a child in the name of the older brother. Well, Onan, it seems, is in the same light as his brother Ur. And he does some pretty despicable things. And God, in his sovereignty, has the same punishments for Onan that Ur received. He puts him to death. And it, this is the only two times that the name of the Lord is uttered in this chapter. The only way we see God in this, if we just look at Genesis chapter 38, is in wrath. But that's a picture of God's sovereignty, guys. God alone is the one who can judge sin. And He can end us. He, is, he knows our beginning to our end. He knows how, long, how many days you have here on earth. And He knows your greatest need is His forgiveness. And in His wrath, he, which He ultimately pours out on His Son, He shows us His mercy. You see, Jesus carried, as God's Son, God in flesh, carried the wrath of the Father. God poured down His wrath on Him on the cross. And that's ultimately how we see the fulfillment of God's love is through His punishment of His own Son for our sins. Sin bears consequences. The wage of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And that's what we see here work out is that God keeps His promise to Abraham who is no longer on earth, to Isaac and to Jacob, and now carrying forward to the Messiah. So, Onan dies. Tamar, the wife, is left out to dry. She gets sent back to daddy's house in widow's garb as a, a shameful woman. Basically, it's her fault that these two sons died. Is that fair? No. But something's wrong with this lady, and we're going to send her home. The problem for her, then, is that she lives a life of shame and grief from that moment on. And along the way, Judah makes the promise that his third son, Shelah, will be hers eventually, but he's not old enough to marry yet. Well, some time passes. She realizes 
Judah is not going to keep his promise. Because Shelah then is old enough to be married. Verse 12, here we go. Uh, verses nine through, or 10 through, uh, 9 through 12, or, or through 11, you can read on your own. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to, to his sheep shearers, and his friend, he and his friend Hira the Adolamite. So the guy he went and was buddies with go down at the season of harvest, basically, or the season of the sheep shearing, to make their living. They were expected to go into the city then to see this happen. And when, uh, sorry, <clears throat> and when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off of her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat at the entrance of Enaim, which is on the road to Timnah. So on one of the little towns along the way between Judah's land and between Timnah, the city where he was taking the sheep to be shorn. For she saw that Shelah was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage. This is a woman who is desperate. She has been left without any course of action but her own desperation. So what we find is we find Judah, who is not behaving in a godly manner. We find his two sons, who obviously did something, and one of them obviously that displeased the Lord, who lost their lives. And now Judah doesn't want to lose his third boy, because this woman's cursed. It's all her fault. Is that the truth? No. But she has come to this place now of desperation. Because in her own home, it's likely that she has been shamed as well back in her father's house. They said, you've been sent back. You were supposed to be a part of their family for good. Now she's being cared for, but she's been shamed. And that's a big thing in that day. So, how does she take it into her hands? Let's get to PG-13 time here. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come into you, for he did not know she was his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you give me that I may, you may do this? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. She said, If you give me a pledge until you send it, he said, What pledge shall I give you? She replied, She's smart. She is really smart. She basically asked for his driver's license. He said, she replied, your signet, that's the stamp that his family crest would carry, your cord, the thing that you would wear it around your neck, and your staff that is in your hand. That seems like an extreme price for a night of pleasure. Judah is not showing to be a man of strong character here. But remember, this is not about Judah's faithfulness. This is about God and His grace. She replied, Your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So that he gave them to her, and he went into her, and she conceived by him. And then she arose and went away, and taking off her veil, she put on her garments of her widowhood. So she disguised herself as one of these women who would be outside these pagan temples and offering themselves to the men that came by and worship to their demon gods, basically. So she deceived, and in that she conceived. 
She never took off her, 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 uh, her veil, her, her face covering, so Judah didn't know it was her. And plus, how much time had passed? We don't know. But she's obviously still of childbearing years. So, Judah remembers what he promised. I guess there's something to be said for that. Verse 20. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adullamite to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And the men of the place, uh, and he asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute who was at Anaim at the roadside? And they said, no cult prostitute has been here. So she returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also, the men of the place said, I'm sorry, uh, my eyes crossed. Um, Oh, yeah, no, that, I'm sorry. I thought I was reading the same thing, but he was just repeating himself. No cold prostitute has been here. Verse 23, and Judah replied, let her keep the things as her own, or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat, and you did not find her. So, he tried, but he's not going to make a fool out of himself in the process trying to redeem himself with this woman. It's not worth it to him. Again, not a good show of his character. But also, he was trying to save face. You know, we do that all the time. Maybe not like this. This is weird. But we try to cover our own sin up, right? We try to make, make excuses for the ways we behaved. And there may be reasons that we make the choices we do, but ultimately, it's because we're sinners. We need forgiveness, and we need grace. And sometimes... Maybe we need to approach it the way Judah here and said, I made my efforts, let's leave it alone. God, though, doesn't forget. God is faithful. He does judge sin, which he's really in the midst of doing right here. Judah can't cover it up. He's not trying to cover it up, really. But he's, he's really forgotten at this time about the promise he made to Tamar. That the third son would be her husband. So she lives in shame. She comes in desperation. And she figures out this way to make it happen. Kind of strange. You want to see this in a soap opera? But remember, the whole point of the scriptures is to remind us God is faithful. He has a plan and He loves us. In His grace, He blesses this woman who was so desperate. In His grace, He blesses Judah, who really didn't deserve it. About three months later, it says in verse 24, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. Well, somebody forgot his own sin. In the first place, he forgot that he was, you know, that's the double standard we get, right? We want to have forgiveness for ourselves, but everybody else better deal with what they did. You got to deal with what you did. No, don't get on me about what I did. I'm sorry. Well, Judah here has again not paid attention to his own immorality, his own misbehavior. Bring her out and let her be burned. She has a plan. Remember that driver's license we were talking about? 
As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify who these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. And can you just, just picture this? Judah has got his, his boys, whoever they are, and they're going with the torches burning. They're going to burn this woman who's been immoral. And here comes the messenger. And, they, and he goes, What color did Judah turn? How many colors did Judah turn? Anger, rage, embarrassment, humility. How many colors did he turn? She said, please identify who these are. And then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her my son Shelah. And he did not know her again. He realized his sin and he repented. And he took her into his home. She became a part of his family. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. When she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took, a took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out. Drama. And she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore, his name was called Perez. That means broken or breach. Then afterward, his brother came out with a scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was Zerah. There's a lot of conversation about who was actually the firstborn in that scenario. Because Zerah came out and waved, and then he came back and said, I, I don't even want to know how they figured all that out. But what we find in this picture Judah repents of his misbehavior. He takes her into his home. He realizes his mistake. He doesn't make the same mistake again. But we see that God uses their mistake. And sometimes that's the way it works, guys. We think we have messed up as badly as we possibly can. But God, in His wisdom and in His omnipotence and His, His glory uses the most dastardly thing we thought we could have done to fulfill His purpose. And that's called grace. That is the picture of getting something that you receive a gift you do not deserve. How do I know this? Well, thankfully, we've got a whole Bible in front of us. Open your Bibles now to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. In this genealogy, why are the genealogies there? They're boring. In this genealogy, you see God's grace at work. Matthew chapter 1. Did I give you verse 2 there? Is that where I'm starting? That we got? I'm going to start in verse 2, whether or not I put it in the computer, I don't remember. Adam, Abraham was the father, father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, the Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, 
who was not a pretend prostitute, but a real prostitute in Jericho. Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, who was a Moabitess, and Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. You see four women mentioned in this genealogy, which is not common. And all four of them were in the line of Christ unjustly. They did not deserve to be there. Tamar, who we just read about. Rahab, who is the prostitute who protected the spies in Jericho. Ruth, who was a Moabitess. She wasn't even in the people. She was a descendant of Lot. And then Uriah, the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba, who was caught, or David, who David had her husband killed because he got her pregnant. Questionable people who got, God brought through this scarlet thread of his love and brought redemption, ultimately leading to verse 16 in Matthew 1. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. God's grace is at work continually. And he can either, if he can work through these characters, anybody want to raise their hand if they've done stuff that bad? God works in your life to his glory. And he wants to bring you to salvation. And he will work through you despite your sin. He wants to forgive you. He wants you to find your salvation in him by trusting in this Savior, Jesus, the Messiah, the one who paid the penalty for our sins on the cross and rose again on the third day. And he offers you this promise and he's offered it to us from eternity past. How long ago was Genesis chapter 38? Well, if I did my math right, which is relative because I'm a musician and I can count to four, but 3,600 years, 3,700 years, 1,600 years later, here came Jesus, and now here we are. This is His grace at work in our lives. I know that some of you think that you have done things that you cannot be forgiven of. But I'm going to tell you, there's somebody who's done something bigger in the Bible that God brought forgiveness. The man who wrote half the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, was a murderer. And God saved him. God saves adulterers. He saves murderers. He saves liars. And guess what? It's all sin. And the price of sin is our death. And that death is fulfilled in Christ on the cross. And he offers you new life because of his resurrection. It's all about God's plan, guys. And that's why this is here. In the midst of all of this, God is faithful to bring redemption to humanity. Will you receive the gift of forgiveness of your sin? In a moment, David's going to be down here at the front during um, our invitation time, David Britton. I've got to go back up and celebrate something else here that we get to at the end. But if you need somebody to pray with you, he's going to be here. 
If you need that gift of salvation, you need to receive that gift. Today's the day to do it. We're going to see a great picture of that celebration here in a few moments. God is good. Follow him. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. We thank you for your faithfulness. I pray now that as we, um, we see your hand at work, that we would take bold steps to honor you, that those who need to place their faith and their trust in you would do so this time. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. And I pray, God, that you, um, you would be at work in each of our lives to walk in obedience to your word. Help us to be faithful to you the way you've shown your faithfulness in us. In Jesus' name.